When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Beholding there the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have crucified Adam, but you've crucified him through the beautiful new Adam, Jesus Christ. You've buried the old, and although the old man still nags us and we still fall very often and much into sin and we hate it. And Satan tempts us to despair. Father, we ask this morning that you would proclaim your Son faithfully to us through the Holy Spirit that we might know our baptismal union into him and what it is to be flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone and that you would rebuke Satan in our midst. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as we journey through Lent, and this being week one of Lent, uh, we see that our readings begin with Jesus being tested in the wilderness. But there's a journey, isn't there? There's a journey from the wilderness, the temptation, through to the cross. And we're going to see that over the next several weeks. Now, how many of you think Jesus exercises his power as God the Son in his humanity. How many of you think that when he was in trouble he pulled out some miraculous miraculous power and used it? If you think that, you're wrong. He does not do that at all. And that's what we're going to see in this temptation. Now the second thing is who reads genealogies? Come on, anybody say, all right, I'm going to read Luke chapter 3 today. I'm going to read the genealogy that Luke says. Well, the genealogy in Luke is really important. It's different to Matthew's genealogy. Matthew is focusing on Jesus being the king, coming from the royal line of Abraham and David and so on. But in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is portraying, uh, Luke is portraying Jesus as the true and final Adam. Now think of that word Adam. It means that Jesus is the true man and he's representing all of humanity. So what happened with the first Adam? When he sinned, what happened to the human race? We all sinned. We all applauded. When he sinned, we stood there and clapped. But we all have experienced the same effects of sin through Adam the guilt, the shame, the fallenness and the brokenness. The word Adam actually means mankind. So when Adam was created, he was representing all of mankind. And here Luke is saying, here is the true man, Adam at last. He's going to stand upon this earth and he's going to do what the first Adam couldn't do. And we need to know that as we go into the temptation story. So Satan is not just tempting Jesus to sin, so to speak, but he's actually tempting him to not rely upon the Father. He wants him to use his divinity as the Son of God. And as I said, I wonder whether or not we actually understand 
that that was the temptation. But if Jesus had drawn upon the divine powers of his sonship as the Son of God, would he have ever been truly man? If he had called upon his special powers, his miracle, whatever it was, his deity, if he had used his deity, would he have been man? He would have been Superman, wouldn't he? Some of you might be hearing that for the first time today and thinking, wow, I never knew that. But that's actually what the temptation is about. The whole of the creation, the whole of the human race is dependent and was dependent upon one man, Jesus Christ. Has that changed? Is that what church is about? Is church really about one man, Jesus Christ? Is that where we find our common fellowship? Because that is where the whole creation, the whole of humanity is redeemed in one man, Jesus Christ. And so Satan's temptation is therefore for Jesus to actually give up on his humanity. And if Jesus gives up on being truly man, guess who he gives up on? He gives up on us. And one of my friends who preached on this passage said, Jesus doesn't leave us or forsake us and he used the illustration of having a crummy congregation. He said, if you have a crummy congregation as a pastor, are you tempted to leave it? And the answer would be yes. You know, the burnout rate of pastors in America is 80%. It's a lot, isn't it? Well, here's Jesus. What kind of a congregation does he have? got fallen Adam and Adam wants to worship the devil. That's where we are. We, we in Adam have no problem worshipping the devil whatsoever. Bring it on. So blind, so darkened in our heart that we exchange the true worship of God for a lie and we don't even blink. And here's Jesus and he's not going to leave nor forsake this crummy congregation. He will not. He refuses the temptation. He refuses to give up on us. Pastors may leave their congregations. Wives and husbands might leave each other. As soon as things get tough, who doesn't say these words? I'm out of here. I'm out of here and the front door shuts and only the Lord comes back and quietens our soul and we come back. You're saying that never happens to you. You're looking at me like you've never had that experience. Of course you have. But Jesus is not like that. He's the true man and he is without sin. So the second thing is this. To be truly human is to be without sin. To be truly human is to be without sin. When God created Adam and Eve, how were they in their original creation? Did he create us with sin? No. And so one day we're going to know truly what it is to be human. We're going to experience that true humanity at the resurrection when we will be without sin. But at this moment in time we don't experience that fully. And so here's Jesus, the true man. And what is it to be true man? It's to have no resources in yourself. He's got no resources. Who is his resource for living? The Father. 
and he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's, so, and he's just dependent on the Father for everything. Every single thing he is dependent upon the Father. In fact, if he's not dependent on the Father for one moment of his life, you know what happens, don't you? That's it. He sins and it's over for us. Are you a self-sufficient person this morning? Do you have resources in yourself by which you can draw upon? Then you have to congratulate yourself for that, don't you? And at that point, you're the devil. Because the devil convinces you that you have resources in yourself. Where do you think humanism comes from? What a joy it is to be a Christian and to have no resources no power within yourself to accomplish anything. Do you know that was the beautiful joy that came to me at salvation? When I heard the Gospel at salvation, I always thought the strength and the energy had to be by me. It was the kind of Christianity that was portrayed to me. And I came to the end of myself and I couldn't, I'd never loved one person. I'd never truly loved my mum and my dad. I was just, all I could see was that I couldn't do good. What a time to hear the Gospel. To know that it's not about that but it's about Jesus Christ and you having faith in Him and Him living His life through you. And so notice the language here. That's in Luke. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil He ate nothing during those days and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. What I want you to do is notice the way Luke uses the language. Why does he say, and Jesus? Why doesn't he say, and Jesus Christ? Or why doesn't he say, and God the Son, full of the Holy Spirit? Why does he say in Jesus? He's talking about a man. Describing his manhood. He's saying, here is the man Jesus. Here he comes, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit and he's about to actually conquer Satan as the true man. And you know what else? He's hungry. He really was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was weak. He was tired. What is that saying? He is the true man, truly human, suffering really, suffering in the weakness of our humanity. Now I've said this to you before and I'll say it again. How many times have you said, nobody knows what I'm going through? Jesus does. Jesus knows. Jesus has been through everything we've gone through, especially at the cross. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So the first temptation is this. Satan sees that Jesus is weak and he actually says to him, if you are the Son of God, like, come on, give us a break. Do you reckon Jesus didn't know that? But if you are the Son of God, then how about you draw upon your powers because you're hungry and you're tired and how about you turn those stones 
into bread? How about you eat it? And how about you satisfy yourself? Go on, satisfy yourself, Jesus. That's what my kingdom's about. Jesus says, no. No, no, no. I love, I love my people. I love them too much for that. And I love my Father too much for that. And then he uses the words, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but really, in Matthew's Gospel, by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So how does Jesus respond to the temptation? With it is written by the Word of God. Now I've said this before and I don't want to harp on it, but do you know, worldwide, evangelical Christianity is calling for less teaching and preaching of God's Word. Less reading of the Scriptures less prayer meetings and we're at our lowest ebb ever of Bible literacy and learning. Who's pressuring that? Do you really believe that Jesus as the head of the church, the true man who was dependent on the Word of God is saying to the church today, less Bible reading, less understanding of the Scriptures, less Bible teaching. Do you really believe the head of the humanity of the church would say that. And yet we're listening to it. And so churches are becoming like a fast food outlet. And there's no longer hunger and thirst for the Scriptures or God's Word. But it's not only that there's no hunger, we're actually saying it's okay, we don't need it. Who's that coming from? It can't be coming from Christ, can it? Because Christ was a man who was full of the Spirit and he knew the Word of God and he lived by the Word of God and he was a man who was without sin and yet he needed every part of that. He needed all of that to be truly human. We are suffering from spiritual sloth, deep spiritual sloth at the hands of the devil when we say, I don't need the Word of God, I don't need the Scriptures, there is a darkness that descends at that point. And only the Gospel can blow it away and breathe through Christ, the Spirit and the Word and bring new life to us. Everyone's practical theology vitally affects the course of his or her life. A thoughtless or uninformed theology grips and guides our life with just a greater force as does a thoughtful and informed one. That's really worth noticing, isn't it? Can you imagine if Jesus was not a man of the Word? The second temptation, the devil seeks to move Jesus from really going to the cross. Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you would just bow down and worship me, I will give them to you. How arrogant is Satan to say that? But what a temptation. It had to be a, it, it had to be a real temptation. So he's actually trying to get Jesus off course from going to the cross. And he knows that if he can get Christ as the last Adam to not go forward and journey towards the cross where Christ will reclaim all God's kingdom at that point. 
where he will renew humanity, then Satan knows that that temptation will cause Jesus to fail. But how does Jesus defeat him? It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Jesus again goes to the first commandment and at that point, rather than giving in to temptation, Jesus is obeying God's commandment and he's offering up, at that point in the wilderness, he is offering up worship to God. By resisting the devil, he's offering up obedience to the Father, but he's actually offering up that obedience on our behalf. And the third temptation is this, he takes him to the temple and Satan misuses scripture, quoting from Psalm 91. You've got to be careful, don't you, that I talk about the Bible, I talk about reading the scriptures, but Satan quotes scripture. And I've had many conversations where people have used scripture verses wrongly. So it's not just about understanding the scriptures, it's about understanding God's word rightly. So Satan takes a psalm and he applies that to Jesus to try and tempt him. Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. My final point is this. All that Jesus does there is to do with his journeying to the cross to defeat Satan ultimately and to redeem us. So, Jesus on the cross, actually, this might sound a bit funny, but Jesus on the cross enters Satan's domain. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of the fact that at every point as you see Jesus moving through the temptation in the wilderness that he's actually heading to the cross and he's on the offensive, he's the stronger man and he's come to actually put out of action Satan's kingdom. And so at the point that you see Jesus being beaten and spat upon and cursed and a crown of thorns being put upon his head, at that point Satan probably thinks, I've got you. I've got him. And tomorrow we're going to nail you to a tree and we're finally going to kill you. Jesus is saying, that's fine. I'm not going to fight. I'm actually not going to fight evil that way. How does he fight evil? He humbly, in his humanity, submits to it. He submits to the cursing and the jeering and the mocking and he actually walks to the cross carrying the cross and as he's carrying the cross up the mountain, how is he handling evil? Is he fighting it with a gun? With a sword? With his mouth? Fighting it by bearing it. He takes it, he shoulders it, actually he shoulders our sin up Mount, up Mount Calvary, shouldering it. Doesn't turn away from the crummy congregation. Instead, he embraces evil, he embraces Adam. And there's a statue, I believe it's somewhere in Scotland, where the statue has Jesus Christ embracing the old Adam. And do you know what he does with the old Adam? He kills, he kills Adam. 
He kills us in the cross. He puts the old to death. And as He puts the old to death in the cross, Satan is there accusing Him with everything He's got. He's saying, look at the sin that is on you. And He's accusing Him and cursing Him. And Jesus is bearing that sin and He's bearing the accusation of Satan and He's bearing the guilt of it all in His cross. That's how He defeats Him. He bears it and He identifies and He takes us with Him in death. What is your baptism about? Isn't your baptism about the fact that the Holy Spirit joins you to the death of Jesus and to His resurrection life? And so through holy baptism, brothers and sisters, we are actually joined to the true man, Jesus Christ. We are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And we share in his humanity, we share in his obedience, we share in his worship to God the Father. Do you know the only way that we can offer acceptable worship to God is through Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. And so the devil's great power, his weapon of choice, is to accuse us, the children of God, of their sin. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the excruciating pain that you said something yesterday or you did something yesterday that you really regret. Well, Satan will be on to you and he will accuse you and he will torment you of your sin and of your guilt. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he give up? Why does he do that? Because he knows this. If he can get us back under guilt again, he has it. He has us back under works of the law. He has us back in the flesh and he has us back in his worship system. Why he does it. And so the verdict, brothers and sisters, that we need to hear, the word that we need to hear is the word that in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation for us. Through holy baptism into Jesus Christ we actually are standing before the Father in Jesus Christ and the verdict is this, not guilty. You are not condemned for any sin. And you have to take that word by faith and as you take that word by faith, you're actually taking the sword of the Spirit. You are actually at that point wielding the word and the Spirit against Satan and you're standing with Christ and you are actually on the offensive with him in whatever he is doing in the creation. You are moving out now with him and you are standing with him and you are saying, no, I will not come under that worship system that is dependent on guilt and on my righteousness. I will not look anywhere but to the spotless Lamb of God, my righteousness. Do you renounce the devil and all of his works? Where is that said? Where are those words said? In your baptism. 
What does it mean to renounce the devil and all of his works? It means that you stand as a baptised Christian in Jesus Christ, freed from the guilt and punishment of all sin and you reject the devil and all his works. And I have a feeling we're caught up in our tradition rather than caught up in the meaning and the action of baptism. Do you really, this morning, by the word of God in Jesus Christ, reject the devil and all his works? Yes, if you've been baptised into Jesus Christ, you can say, I stand in him and I look to him and I look to his righteousness only. Luther says this, the purpose of our temptation is to strengthen our faith dependent on the gospel alone. Conscience cannot be made secure through any work, not even through that work which belongs undeniably to man's vocation. What is the purpose of your temptation? Why does the devil attack you? That your faith may be in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in him alone and you're not trusting in anything else. Romans 10, the word of faith is in your lips and on your heart. Conscience is the bride of Christ, perfect union with him and none but the bridegroom has the right to bind the bride to him. Then he says this, the man who seeks to reject the word of God and follow his own heart does not become a free man but one in subjection to the devil. There are only two alternatives, subjection to God and subjection to the devil. We don't believe that in the Western world. We believe there's some middle ground in which I can hover. Rubbish. You can't hover neutrally in the creation. But these two men stands like an animal to be ridden If God be the rider, the creature goes on where God wills. If Satan be the rider, he goes on where Satan directs. Do you reject the devil and all his works? Are we real about our Christian faith? Are we real about the devil? Or do you think you can play games with God and games with the devil and it will be alright? No. Christ has conquered. Submit yourselves, brothers and sisters, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. From you. By the authority of Jesus Christ and by his precious name, you are in him and the devil flees from you. How much authority has God given us in Jesus Christ? We do need to wake up, don't we? We need to be awakened to the Gospel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.